Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. As we've already explored with The Next Generation, what goes on behind the camera in Star Trek is often just as fantastical as what's being filmed in front of it. While this is true of all the series, Deep Space Nine was initially about as haphazard and directionless a property as it's possible to be. Not unlike the titular station on which it was set, production was a mess of infighting, conflicting ideas and lofty ambitions. And while it would eventually emerge as one of Star Trek's greatest ever shows, how it got to that point makes for some wonderful stories. My name is Adam Cleary and these are 10 amazing behind-the-scenes secrets of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Number 10, Ro Lauren. We start with perhaps the most famous story from Deep Space Nine's pre-production and a genuine sliding doors moment in the history of the entire franchise. Major Kieran Arise, both a pillar of the show and arguably one of the greatest female portrayals in all of Star Trek, was never supposed to be a part of this story. In fact, she was thrown in as a last-minute addition when the character Paramount originally envisaged fell apart. That character the next generation's Ro Lauren. The initial treatments for Deep Space Nine had Michelle Forbes recurring Bajoran Tearaway as one of the major focal points of the show. Early versions of the writer's bible had her acting as both the Federation liaison with the Bajoran militia, serving as Cisco's first officer, becoming good friends with the initially quite uptight Dax, and having an adversarial relationship with Quark. Sound familiar? However, Forbes really wasn't interested in a full-time run on the show, and after several rewrites were attempted to accommodate her only being used occasionally, a late decision was taken to just write an entirely new Bajoran character, Major Kira Norris. It's nearly impossible to imagine Deep Space Nine without either Kira or Nanar Visitor, but that's very nearly what we got. Number 9, the M&Ms. You could, and I mean we probably should, do an entire list on the bizarre everyday items that wound up as futuristic props on Star Trek. But the short version is that the set designers are both incredibly resourceful and have wonderful senses of humour. Deep Space Nine's medical instruments, for example, were largely comprised of off-the-shelf light-up Star Trek toys, and yes, that is a Romulan warp nacelle. But even more amusing than that, if you can imagine such a thing, concerns the origins and fate of Dr. Bashir's rather exotic display of alien medicines. The colourful pellets residing in the jars on his shelves are almost entirely just different candies bought wholesale and separated out colour by colour. The vast majority are just humble M&Ms. Because, I mean, hell, why shell out for 
thousands of pieces of colourful set dressing when jumbo packs of chocolate drops are about $15 in most shops. While this is a fun bit of background trivia, it did create a number of continuity problems during filming, as actors hanging around the infirmary set would occasionally just dip into the jars for a sweet treat between the scenes. This led to a few instances of the jars moving between shots, so production was forced to simply glue them shut. Number 8. The Dominion Arc When the Dominion were first introduced in Season 2, the long-term plan for them was to start and end with Season 3's The Search. They might be occasionally mentioned or featured in one-off episodes, but they were seen more more a part of Odo's backstory than a part of the overall narrative of the show. However, having created what was effectively just a mirror image of the Federation itself on the other side of the wormhole, Ronald D. Moore and Iris D. Bear lobby that this should be a major part of the show's identity going forward. After all, if you have two big dogs barking at each other between a glass door, why wouldn't you show the audience what happens when it finally opens? Despite their best efforts though, executive producer Rick Berman was determined to keep Deep Space Nine as an episodic show and didn't want any major story arcs to span its forthcoming seasons. Thus, it would likely have stayed that way had he not departed in 1995 to oversee the launch of Star Trek Voyager. With Paramount desperate for new ideas to reinvigorate the audience and Moore and Bear finally free to go in whatever direction they saw fit, the Dominion War became the entire central focus of the show's remaining seasons. Number 7. Avery Brooks' Hair After settling on Avery Brooks for the part of Captain Sisko, and we will get to how that happened in a little bit, the production team began work on the costuming and overall look of their central protagonist. Not too hard a job in Star Trek, you'd think, given all the Starfleet characters tend to wear a set uniform, but there was one contractual hitch. Prior to his entry into the Star Trek universe, Brooks had a major role in the series Spencer for Hire, where his character, Hawk, sported a distinctive look with a shaved head and a goatee. Owing to the show still airing after its cancellation in 1988, Paramount were concerned he'd resemble his former part too strongly and requested that he both lose the beard and grow his hair back in. Brooks hated the look, but understood the reasoning. As the show grew more successful and he found himself in a stronger position, he renegotiated his contract and gradually got back to his preferred look, even briefly having both hair and a goatee in season three. The only other costuming tale of note concerns Colmini, who apparently insisted that O'Brien was someone whose job it was to roll his sleeves up and get things done, thus his uniform would need to let him do that and got given extra baggy sleeves. Number 6. Morn. A nice short one for you here. Morn, the now infamous acorn cum testicle that propped up the bar in Quarks, was written entirely as a nod to Norm from Cheers. I mean, if I was George Went, I'm not entirely sure how I'd feel about the similarities, but hey, there are worse things to have created in thine own image. Oh, and small piece of Trek trivia I've somehow managed to assimilate in my time as a fan, Morn, despite only being a recurring character, appears in more episodes of the show than series regular Jake Sisko. Number 5. John Wayne. Star Trek's love affair with westerns has been documented countless times in the past. From Gene Roddenberry envisaging the original series as, quote, wagon train to the stars, to the casting choices for James Kirk initially just being a short list of actors from that genre. The final frontier has borrowed extensively from the tropes of the American frontier. Deep Space Nine was no exception to this, and its initial pitch to Paramount extended the wagon train comparison by saying this would be the franchise's equivalent of The Rifleman. Now, if you're not up on your TV from the 50s and 60s, and, well, fair enough, the former deals with the exploration of the frontier west, while the latter concerns the adventures of a town built right on the fringes of it. And, yeah, you're right, that is a good analogy. One of the main ways this manifested during production was that the initial writing for Constable Odo was, less subtly, Sheriff Odo, a gunslinging, wise-cracking law enforcer who phased first, asked questions 
later and was to take his cues from several different John Wayne performances. René Aubergenois allegedly landing the part after he took that brief to mean grumpy and stood out against all the other actors who were trying to play it as menacing. If you want to know more about the Deep Space Nine Western comparisons, then why not check out its installment in the Dolphin series where I use the word brothel liberally. Number four, Quark and Odo's friendship. And speaking of our gelatinous pal, perhaps second only to McCoy and Spock, Star Trek's greatest adversarial relationship belongs to Quark and Odo. One a duplicitous, greedy scoundrel, the other a straight-laced, by-the-book enforcer of the law, Deep Space Nine could simply have been an entire show about how they clash with one another and still comfortably run for seven seasons. However, as the series did run on, the conflict between the two softened into something resembling mutual respect, before finally becoming one of the all-time great begrudging TV friendships. They saved each other's life on more than one occasion, and it normally gets forgotten that out of everyone on the station, the only person who tried to help Odo through his feelings for Kira was actually Quark. Thing is though, this immeasurably satisfying arc wasn't some pre-planned storyboard in the writer's room, but rather the result of the real-life friendship between René Abergenois and Armin Shimmerman. Initially two relative strangers to one another and content to play on-screen adversaries, the time the two would spend in the makeup chair together led to a genuine professional respect and eventually a close personal friendship forming. The writers, wanting to make the most of this chemistry, wrote it into the show. The same is also true of Terry Farrell and Michael Dawn. No romance angle was ever envisaged when Worf was brought onto the show, but such was the chemistry he had in scenes with Dax, the writers decided it would be a waste not to just run with it. Number three, Garrick's sexuality. Give any two characters screen time and someone, somewhere, will insist that they are banging. I'm not going to get into any details here, but long story short, myself and an unnamed wrestler once had to stop filming skits together because the fan art was getting too graphic. But sometimes there's no smoke without the fire of someone's burning loins, and of all Star Trek's great unresolved fan shipping, Garrick and Julian Bashir remains the gold standard, partially because they just had great chemistry together, but more importantly, because the writing and performances pushed gently in that direction. Andrew Robinson, literally Garrick himself, has said that he played the role as someone who doesn't have a defined sexuality. He's not gay, he's not straight, it's a non-issue for him, but it's Star Trek, and Americans really are very nervous about sexual ambiguity. Also, this is a family show, so they have to keep it on the straight and narrow. Sadly, while this was something that was always acknowledged in the writer's room, it never manifested into anything that happened on the show. Robinson also saying that by and large his portrayal was supported by production, but they just decided never to explicitly go there. And if the writing didn't go there, then the acting couldn't either because ultimately the two need to support each other. So have you ever watched any of those lunches and just thought, hang on, is this a thing? Then yes, yes it was, they just couldn't say it. Number two, Bashir's ethnicity. If Garrick's sexual ambiguity was something that established itself through the subtlety and craft of the performance, then Julian Bashir's equally as mysterious background was quite the opposite. In fact, the development of the character went through the incredibly rare phase of a firm decluttering. Despite originally auditioning for the role of Cisco, yup, Alexander Siddig was cast as the station's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed medical officer, Dr. Amaros. Written almost identically to the part that would end up becoming Julian Bashir, the only real difference initially was the name and the fact he was clearly of Hispanic descent. However, as production began on the pilot episode, the producers took the unusual step of removing this feature from the character profile and not replacing it with anything else. According to Siddig, the decision was taken because they felt shoehorning in a defined ethnicity for the character was ultimately quite restrictive on what they could do with the part. Instead, Bashir took inspiration from Arabian, Mediterranean, Indian, British, and Hispanic culture across the course of the show, 
representing the defined cultural characteristics were virtually non-existent by the 24th century. Ultimately, human beings are just presented as human beings, and if you trace their family histories back far enough, their ancestry likely spans the entire globe. Number one, the star-studded cast. To massively misquote Tom Jones, it's not unusual for a TV show to write its characters with particular actors in mind for the part. What is unusual, though, is for a show to set out with such massively lofty expectations for the calibre of star it's able to attract, and then just work its way down from there. But that is precisely what happened in the case of Deep Space Nine's pre-production, with Paramount convinced that the respective successes of both the next generation and the more recent movie outings would make a new Star Trek property incredibly attractive to the industry's big names. Thus, Predators Carl Weathers, ERs Eric LaSalle, and James Earl Jones, yes, literally Darth Vader, were offered the role of Benjamin Sisko, but all of them turned it down. Terminator 2's Robert Patrick was approached about taking the role of Odo, but decided another shapeshifter was a bit on the nose for him, while Goldeneye's Famp Janssen was offered the part of Dax. Janssen came the closest out of all of the above names, though, having helped influence the design of the trail during her appearance on Star Trek The Next Generation, but ultimately none of the air quotes big names Paramount approached ended up taking a role. The irony of this, of course, is that that means the biggest star that the show was able to attract was actually Star Trek The Next Generation's Col Meany, proving once again that Chief O'Brien is, and forever will be, the most important person in the universe. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.